You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. First, some scripture thoughts. Labor out your salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that God himself is working within you both in deciding and doing what he's called you to decide and do. Your labor need not be in vain. Come to me, all that not only labor, but are in it up to their eyeballs and find rest. Take on my work yoke, my foolishness, my rejection, my cross, my God-forsakenness, my being raised and watching my church mix its homegrown foolishness with my kind of foolishness. Take on my labor. It's easy and my yoke is light. Take all of it and don't turn around and mix it with your former shtick. Otherwise, you'll wish your eyeballs were on stilts. I know, I'm sure you've noticed the last two words in this topic that I've been assigned, church musician. Too gray-headed. To pipe organish, choir loftish, undrum set like. <laughs> well, these are the only words that properly describe what any of you are doing. Right along with Dr. Peter Pedalpusher on the pontifical pipe organ, accompanying E. coli, his Grammy winning early music choir. Church simply means the bride of Christ, and this or that church is where the bride dances on weekends with her groom in a teepee or a cathedral. And music simply means all of it, the sheer fact of it in the bursting fullness of stylistic Pentecost. Whether it's High Communion at St. Bartholomew's or worship time in a storefront, if we overwhelm this gloriously ubiquitous life-wide thing called continuous worship and squeeze it down to an on-site package, not sure whether the gift is music or worship or the wrapping worship or music, We're laboring in vain, we're sweating our chops off, doing truth in a sonic fog, and filtering Jesus through the screen of repeated works, worship by musical reflex. The true labor of a church musician, first of all, means returning to basics or in Jeremiah's 
words, asking for the ancient paths, where the good way is, walking in them and finding rest. But ancient does not mean traditional or classical any more than new means contemporary. Asking for the ancient paths has nothing to do with how many ways you decorate the paths, but what the paths themselves are, what they mean, where they lead, irrespective of decorations or paving stones. And when we get it backwards, when we forget the paths and dote on the decorations, then watch the whole thing pervert itself. Then the decorations are what counts or what count and might even become the path itself. Do you see where this goes and how this might apply to one degree or another to the kind of labor you choose? Do you labor to keep the decorations alive and well of running the risk of equating the decorations with the paths, then crafting your own paths no matter where they lead or what they mean, all the while reaching into your saddlebag and dragging out the word worship? If so, you do worldly labor and find worldly reward, your burden is light, so it seems. Yet its yoke kills with pagan weight. Let's call this Babel. But the ancient paths, this is real labor, but not hard labor. And keeping your eyes on the good way, on the ancient paths of crucified, dying, resurrected, soaring biblicism, paradoxically, is kingdom lightness, the lightness that the foolish Christ offers to his foolish ambassadors. And yes, there are decorations, more than we can count, the wilder the better, decorations that are anointed by the path, because Jesus is the path, whether the decorations on his robes are spangled, multicolored, or simple hopsacking. Let the world in every corner sing, my God and my King. Let's call this Pentecost. Which way do you labor? Do you speak Babel or Pentecost? Your music will never determine this, but the path you choose will. Observe this. I have not fired off any beauty, truth, code words or given you a list of approved styles. I do not know what your practitional styles are. I can guess because we have not yet heard a pipe organ in this 
convocation. Even though there, is, there are organists sitting out here whose chops are simply, simply stunning. And we haven't given them the room to breathe. But they're here smiling. I don't know how you think or theologize, whether your theology is tuned to your guitar or your guitar is tuned to your theology. Nor do I know whether you're fighting or joining City Hall and the mandates of its lead mayor, whether City Hall is using you as God's dessert bar against your better judgment, or whether you like serving dessert so much that as long as City Hall provides the funding, you'll make better and better desserts. I do not know these things. I just know you sing. And then here's what I do really know, and I want you to permit me to speak personally for a minute. I do know my wayward self. I do know that being schooled in the rich and glorious tradition of classicism, as I have, has been a blessing and it's been a curse. I do know that celebrating multiple musical kinds and styles, as I now joyfully do, in no way has compromised my love for the classics. In fact, if you think it through, one kind of music will set another kind of music in working perspective. It's not a matter of accepting or rejecting. It's a matter of widening perspective and testing out the musics as they test each other out. And if you multiply that principle, you sharpen and you expand your perspective without sacrificing your sense of quality and appropriateness. So while I've repented of the former equation of selective beauty and spirituality, I've come back to ancient paths and I've learned that Bach and Ravel and Palestrina and Stravinsky, powerful and lovely as they are, must surrender to the musical paths, not or, sorry, just as all music everywhere in all styles must do. The paths rule the music. The music, the paths are the lord of the dance. Newness, let alone relevance, is no longer chronological. It's chirotic. No longer self-consciously contemporary but creatively ongoing. And I'm more disturbed than ever about those who persist in condemning this or that style without one single principle scripture, scriptural principle or musical example to bolster them. They have only the Greeks, an assortment of philosophical confusions about truth, beauty, and affections linked to a Christo-Westernism that ignores the rest of the world. But I'm equally at odds with those who rip the air with their anything-goes babble, 
musically libidinous, suckered by false and undiscerning relativism. Both of these extremes are in false labor up to their eyeballs. I'm an old rascal. And except for an occasional journey into your promised land, which I thoroughly enjoy, and some leftover writing that I might need to do, I found rest, activity within rest. It's not just personal rest, however. It's corporate rest. It's vicarious rest. This rest, I, I want to say this to you, is on behalf of you, all of you in your labor, whether it's that of Babel or Pentecost or an all too typical mixture of the two. So a few more thoughts about labor. There's a difference between labor and what labor produces. It varies from person to person, talent to talent, parish to parish. Pastor Luke can saw a piece of worship wood to length just once, and it always seems to fit. Pastor Jack saws his piece three times, and it's still too short. That's funny. Dad gummit. <laughs> In both cases, there's no guarantee about the presence or absence of worship. None. Neither labor nor product counts except as labor and product. You can labor until the seat of your pants scoops sand. You can labor until you look like you've slept in a waffle iron. <laughs> but do not bargain for blessings on that account. Especially if Pastor Luke's spiky hair, plaid shirt, fitted jeans, cuffs rolled tight, wide, and oh so to proper length making it look as if he had an open account at the local Jesus is now men's shop. <laughs> but in the spirit and taking up your cross, examine yourself and your work. Don't compare. Worship style by envy, church growth by covetousness, Self-promoting charisma are successes wrapped in a stench and quite literally turds in a punch bowl. <laughs> Evaluate your laboring self in Christ in you and take your rest there. Further, everybody in all walks of life labors at things that have virtually no power beyond themselves until we decide to impute power to them and turn them then in a chosen direction. Music is dumb 
It's mute. It can't tell truth. An atom bomb is bulbous and numb and dumb. It's an artifact. But wire, wire it up to human impulse and it'll whack the living hoodoo out of a county's worth of shopping malls and kindergartens and casinos. So it is with all things we think up and make. By themselves, no big deal until we use them according to our reasons. Remember this, therefore. You have the worldview. The music does not, nor can. That piece of worship wood that Luke and Jack have been working on is mute. It's useless, qualitatively variable. But think beyond the wood. Forget what Luke and Jack want to do with it. Go directly to this person we confess to be Lord of all, creator of heaven and wood. Humbly offer your cut of it to him to use as he pleases. Get out of the way. Forget everything you've inserted into the bargain. Your skill with worship wood. Your magical formulae. Your music is power pharmaceuticals. Your shaky journeys into what's sacred and what's not. Forget Ken Myers. Forget Scott Aniol. Forget Plato. Forget Augustine. Forget Best, Coughlin, Cosper, Kreider, Boswell, Carson, all the rest. Test out the whole bunch of us against the word of God. Walk in biblical daylight, simple biblical daylight. Be pure in heart, be wise as servants with the things that are neither pure nor impure. Don't sanctify or dirty them with yours or anybody else's constructs. Purify yourselves, biblicize your minds, train your hearts, and all things musical will then become pure. But only then. Offer them up to the only one whose spirit can show you the difference between which purity to use here, which purity to use there, which to put aside until tomorrow. And if you can't envision tomorrow in the traditionalism that, that you now inhabit because you're traditionalists, if you cannot envision tomorrow you're flirting with embalmed traditionalism, the very thing that you've reacted against. And you're close, if you're not careful, to just another kind. Another thought. Are you laboring in worship? Or is your labor a form of management? A form of management in drag. Let's think of the central worship team, and Getty was so good with this. The congregation. They labor too. But have Luke and Jack diverted their labor from worship in faith to being managed by works? Maybe these two guys have slicky-slicked the congregation out of their true labor by managing things as if God himself were there and you just like to, like, you just like, like, you just have to like surrender to it. And, <laughs> and worship happens, no sweat, just a gush of spiritual pheromones. 
as if there were no other worship except right now, right here. Sufficient for today is the worship thereof. But what about cancer and Monday? Is worship equally shared labor? Luke and Jack do their woodcutting, but what about the congregation? Luke and Jack, interestingly enough, are working with ebony two-by-sixes. And right now, I'm a woodworker. Ebony is $100 a board foot. But the congregation is working with jack pine one-by-ones. They're outsung. They're outgunned. And we have a labor management problem. What about co-laboring? Is the worship equation skewed? Has the central worship team been turned into a B team? Think of this great family of words, common, communion, community. Everyone serves the other. The congregation does not accompany the worship team, nor the worship team, the congregation. Oneness in Christ in us implies but one thing, collaboration, collaboration. Do you want an easy yoke and a light burden? Try collaborative worship. It becomes the Spirit's burden, therefore, yesterday, today, and forever. So this thing called labor, the promise of burden light and yoke easy work, this dignity called worship, this dignity of having something to do with a tiny fraction of it. Killer work? No. Crucified labor. There are other crucial things to discuss. I wish there were more time. All the labor things like theological and artistic and personal richness of your lives beyond worship. Are you shallow or deep? And what about the abysmal lack of musical and notational literacy in today's culture, which you seem to praise God by perpetuating? The absence of hands-on, widely topical, regularly edited and sight-readable songbooks for your people? Or are you content to perpetuate cultural primitivism? especially in a culture where literacies of all sorts saturate the lives of everybody. And here we are without any musical literacy at all. Yes, we can dig on oral tradition. It's great. It does certain things for us. It increases our memories. But just listen to a congregation try to stumble through words on a screen without notes in front of them. Just imagine it. It sucks. <laughs> Examine your labor. It'll always be daunting, but you'll find rest, Christ's rest, if and when you submit your labor to him for instruction, for reproof, correction, so that each of you will be by his actual promise thoroughly furnished into every good labor. I submit this to you loaded 
with fa failure in ever so many ways. I'm 83, I've got two stents in my heart, I've got high blood pressure, I've got an AWOL prostate, <laughs> and I need a walker in order to exercise. That's no bull, that's true. But I want you to find the old paths that so many of us old guys missed in so many ways in the days that we so prevaricatingly call the good old days. <laughs>